I want to start by reading you this quote. Here it is. Alas, people read the Sermon on the Mount and find it beautiful, but they do not believe Jesus really meant it that way. They find it to be delightful poetry, but spiritually too high for the prose of our lives. Even the best Christian always retains a small chapel for mammon. Oh, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I find that statement pretty convicting, right? This uh, this quote is from a guy named Abraham Kuyper. And, uh, you know, as I think about my own life, I have to admit that Kuyper is right about me. Um, I, I do think uh, a lot of times that the things that Jesus said were you know, figurative or metaphorical. And and sure, some of them are, but, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, for instance, he says things like, your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. Uh, He says, lust is as serious a sin as adultery. He says, turn the other cheek, love your enemies. Uh, If you don't forgive others, you won't find forgiveness. Don't store up treasures on earth. Uh, These are hard teachings to live by. But Abraham Kuyper, the guy who who said that quote, who stated that quote, uh, was a man who tried to live his whole life by these teachings. Uh, He tried to live an all-of-life kind of discipleship, and he did it in all kinds of ways, as a theologian, as a journalist, as an education reformer, and even as the prime minister of the Netherlands, which was a position that he held from 1901 to 1905. Today I'm speaking with Brant Himes, who wrote a book called For a Better Worldliness, and the subtitle is Abraham Kuyper, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and Discipleship for the Common Good. Uh, Brant, in this interview, uh, helps us understand, first of all, who Abraham Kuyper is, uh, someone that maybe a lot of us uh, don't really know much about, Uh, and he also helps us understand how his life is an example of the kind of discipleship to which all of us are called. Now, we're not going to be talking about Dietrich Bonhoeffer in this episode, um, even though uh, the book is about Dietrich Bonhoeffer as well, uh, but we will talk about him in a part two that will come sometime early next year. Uh, Originally, we were going to talk about both Kuyper and Bonhoeffer in this uh, this episode, Uh, but I thought, you know what, we we need to give each of these uh, really important people uh, enough time to discuss them and uh, and what we can learn from them in terms of how they live their lives following Jesus. And so we'll do a second uh, episode, a second interview sometime, uh, I'm guessing January or February of 2019, um, sometime soon, uh, and we'll talk about Bonhoeffer. Uh, but in this episode, we're talking about Abraham Kuyper. And uh, I'm excited to talk to Brandt and to learn and discuss uh, all these great things that Kuyper had to teach us to help us be the kind of people that we need to be in order to be the kinds of leaders that we need to be. I'm Marcus Watson, and this is episode 15 of Spiritual Life and Leadership. Grant Himes is the Assistant Professor of Humanities at Los Angeles Pacific University, which is part of the Azusa Pacific University system. And uh, Brant is also the Managing Editor at Resonance Journal. Uh, hi, Brant. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah. How are you doing? 
Great. Thanks. Good. Brant, why don't you just tell us real briefly about yourself, where you live, your family, uh, that kind of thing. And then I've got some opening questions I want to ask you to get to know you a little bit. All right. Great. Well, again, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah I work for um, Los Angeles Pacific University, but I actually get to live in Bend, Oregon. Oh. Um, I work remotely, so I teach uh, online for them um, full time, but I get to live wherever I want. So I, uh, I had no idea. I totally thought I was talking to you in L.A. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cool. I am in Central Oregon. Bend is this great little town in Central Oregon right by the mountains. And, uh, okay. Of- outdoor stuff, skiing and hiking and fishing or anything you want to do outside. So it's, uh, it's been a cool place. We moved here about two years ago and, um, got, a got into our first house and getting uh, the kids established in school. I have a fourth grader and a first grader nice. uh, and my wife teaches kindergarten. So cool. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Um, all right. Well, <clears throat> I want to a- ask you a couple of questions just to kind of get to know you a little bit in the beginning. And the first one is, uh, what job would you be terrible at? <laughs> oh, I, I don't think I'd be a very good salesman. Um, hmm. I, uh, yeah, I, I just don't have that knack for, <laughs> um, you know, I don't know that salesman knack. Going up, yeah, right. Uh, the cold calls and all that yeah, kind of thing. Call. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, some yeah. people are just great at it. Um, yeah, don't have that that in me. I don't think. Yep, I get it. Me neither. I don't think. <laughs> uh, uh, when do you feel truly alive? Oh man, um, yeah. I, 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 two different things come to mind. One, um, especially living here in, in Bend, uh, when I get to get outside and, um, go hiking. I, last, last winter I, I learned, uh, I started uh, skiing and uh, did some cross country skiing, a little downhill mm. skiing. And that was just a blast. Oh, so awesome. just kind of being out and learning new things outside. And then also actually, um, when I'm reading and writing, uh, oh, yeah? theology, yeah, I just, oh, cool. if I can get into, yeah, I, I just feel kind of that's, uh, yeah. a fun place for me to be. Uh, awesome. Awesome. Um, okay. Next one. Uh, what would a mirror opposite of yourself be like? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's funny. Um, in a good way, I think my uh-huh. wife, uh, oh. <laughs> you know, she is so I'm more of an introvert. She's so uh-huh. outgoing. Uh, cool. she's very just kind of the center of the party. Yeah. I kind of like, yeah out on the edges. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of the opposite attracts thing, I guess. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. That so. sounds just like our marriage, like my <laughs> wife and me. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, all right. Next question. If your life was a book, what would its title be? Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been thinking about um, the recent passing of Eugene Peterson. Mm. And he was such a, you know, just a, a solid figure and pastor and theologian and writer. And he talks about, um, a long obedience in the same direction. Um, yeah. and I was thinking about that as maybe a, a title mm. that I would hope that I can, you know, continue yeah. to live into. Um, yeah. So that's but, cool. Yeah. That's great. And, uh, what would the title of, uh, what would the title of the current chapter of your life be? Yeah, I think maybe roots, um, Roots. Okay. you know, we're, we've moved here to back to Oregon where we're originally from. I actually 
when I left Portland, uh, Oregon uh-huh. for uh, college, uh-huh. I really didn't, you know, anticipate coming back home um, and being in college and grad school took us all around the country and the world. And, and, uh, and we were in, you know, uh, Southern California and, um, and now that we're, we ended up back in Oregon and we, uh, we built a house, you know, we've been in our new house here for a year and the kids are in school and it just kind of feels like the rooting stage where yeah. we've been kind of moving around and doing so much for most yeah. of our marriage and now we're kind yeah. of putting down our roots. So good. Yeah. That's awesome. That's great. Well, cool. Well, um, uh, for anyone listening, this is actually our first time talking, Brent uh, and me. We emailed a couple of times, but it's uh, exciting for me to kind of meet you uh, voice to voice. And um, uh, and I'm excited to talk to you about uh, the book that you recently published, uh, which is titled uh, For a Better Worldliness, Abraham Kuyper, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and Discipleship for the Common Good. And... Um, uh, today, what I want to do, uh, so we're going to actually do uh, two parts, uh, a two-part interview. Um, today's part one, and then sometime early next year, we'll do part two. But today, we're going to talk about Abraham Kuyper, and the next time, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, but uh, I'd love to start just by kind of unpacking the title of uh, of your book. Why did you call it what you called it? What does that mean for a better worldliness, and why Kuyper and Bonhoeffer, and, and then the discipleship for the common good, which is in blue. So I think that's probably significant on the, on the book cover. <laughs> so, yeah. So anyway, unpack that for me. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, this book came out of uh, my doctoral dissertation. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's a revision and it's shorter and hopefully uh-huh. a bit more accessible. Um, but yeah, the, the basic kind of structure uh, is from my dissertation. Um, yeah. For better worldliness that I, it's kind of an odd phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually uh, got it from, from Bonhoeffer. So he talks in his ethics. Uh, there's a phrase where he talks about this idea of a better worldliness. And uh, he really is trying to get at the theological truth of how Jesus Christ, when he came, uh, he really came into the very midst of the world. And he, mm. and he in doing so, he transformed it um, and did so and came in such a way that um, not to kind of free it. Um, he, he came and engaged the world in such a way to make it better, to engage yeah. with us, uh, to be as part of our lives and engaging with, you know, in, in the good things and, and in the challenges and the triumphs and the tragedies I talked about. Yeah. Um, and so by experiencing the world with Christ, we can experience kind of the, we can be part of helping to, to transform yeah. it and bring about its, its fulfillment. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and why Abraham Kuyper and Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Yeah. So when I first started my studies, I really was focused on Bonhoeffer. Um, okay. I had done some master's uh, writing and, and work, and I, I anticipated doing my PhD on Bonhoeffer. Uh, and then when I started studying, I, I took a course um, at Fuller Seminary where I was working mm-hmm. on my PhD, uh, actually with Richard Ma, who was the president at the time. Oh, okay. Um, and took a seminar with him. It was on Reformed theology, uh, but it was focused particularly on Abraham Kuyper. And it was really, to me, it was interesting how I, I was looking at Bonhoeffer um, in his, how he was uh, understanding and living out his discipleship in a way that was, I call it, 
that's that's for the world, that's engaging the world and not afraid mm-hmm. of it, but is willing to engage the world uh-huh. uh, in order to um, to show Christ's work in and for the world. And in Kuiper, I saw a similar I saw a similar commitment to okay. this kind of whole. I I think about it in terms of whole life discipleship, where our yeah. discipleship is not just about it has to be cultivated in our inner life, but it really mm-hmm. is kind of realized in the possibility of how we interact and engage with the world around us. Right. So with Kuiper, I saw, you know, a really, you know, powerful example of that. Um, yeah. And then it was interesting because coming from a, uh, a reformed um, theological perspective that Kuiper comes from and, uh-huh. and then Bonhoeffer with the Lutheran and he's much very uh, with Bart kind of very Christological in his focus. Yeah. And so there was not, they're easy to kind of look at separately um, okay. and not, not put them in conversation because they come from such kind of different time periods yeah. and, and perspectives. And so um, I had some encouragement that, Hey, this could be an interesting conversation to, to facilitate between the two. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, that, which, um, as you say that, I'm like, oh, well, yeah, now, and here we are separating the two into two parts of <laughs> two interviews. <laughs> but anyway, well, you can, uh, you can bring in the, the way they related to each other, you know, as sure. we, as we yeah. talk today, just yeah. with a little more emphasis on Kuiper today. Um, and then, and then the last part of the title, Discipleship for the Common Good. Yeah. Can you say a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, I, it's, to me, it's that notion of, uh, holistic discipleship where mm-hmm. um, it's, I think even in, in churches and ministry settings, discipleship programs are often uh, about kind of personal disciplines, you know, having a quiet time and reading your Bible uh-huh. and fasting and maybe some corporate kind of worship. But uh, we, we tend to, we tend to, uh, I don't think take discipleship as, as, as kind of a whole life paradigm. Um, yeah. So when I talk about for the common good, it's really realizing that our discipleship really can and should be making a difference in the world around us. Yeah. Right. It's for the sake of the world in a sense. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, okay. Uh, and so uh, Abraham Kuyper. So I, I know a lot more about Bonhoeffer than Kuyper. And I really only have started to get to know Kuyper in the last, gosh, maybe like six months or so, even though I've heard his name, I never learned about him in seminary, which is maybe weird. I don't know. But uh, so, and and I may not be the only one. So sure, maybe you yeah. can just give us a brief introduction to who Abraham Kuyper is. Yeah, I actually hadn't been um, really exposed or knew much about Kuyper um, uh, in, through, through my studies. He's, if you're Dutch Reformed, you know who Abraham Kuyper is. Okay. If you're not Dutch Reformed, you probably don't know who he is. Um, <laughs> so I didn't grow up Dutch Reformed, so I didn't really know uh-huh. about it until I got made friends with some Dutch Reformed folks. Who oh. Kuiper is, uh, and it's interesting if you look at some of the the organ the broader organizations that have this kind of Dutch Reformed influence, uh, like the Center for Public Justice in Washington D.C., which does, um, you know. Uh, uh, which advocates kind of for government policies that are um, Christian based and holistic, but uh, okay. it, they have a foundation that's Kuyperian. Um, oh. uh, the Acton Institute, Cardis, um, oh, yeah. Comet, Comet Magazine, that they have a, uh, 
uh, a foundation that's that's Kyperion. And so there's okay. there's a lot of these organizations out there that uh, you might be familiar with. Um, okay, but they have this kind of Kyperion underpinning, which um, yeah, which, which and is not, and which is interesting, yeah. Well, and and so, what does Kyperion mean? I guess. Yeah, yeah. So it's this um, man. It's really this. Uh, I would say it's one of the f- foundational points is, and, and Kuiper talks about this. I talk about it in the book is the sovereignty of, of Jesus Christ overall. Okay. Okay. Um, and then uh, Kuiper has this line, this famous line. Where if you're talking about Kuiper, you have to quote it. Um, basically, he says there's there's not. I'm probably going to mess it up now that I set it up. There's not a square inch over the oh, whole I, world where God does not, where Jesus does does not proclaim. Yeah, I, I have it written down here. You want yeah, me to yeah, read it? Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it's a good one. So he said, uh, "No single piece of our mental world is to be hermetically sealed off from the rest." And there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence in which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Yes. I like that. That's, yeah. That's the quote. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's this, you know, it's this taking seriously uh, the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. And yeah. if I take that seriously, that means that Christ is sovereign, not only over my my own life, my spiritual life, my family, my church, but also mm-hmm. um the government, um, you know, all these different areas, all these different societies uh, that I can be a part of. And therefore there's, I can engage with those things knowing that Christ is sovereign. Uh, even if maybe others don't recognize his sovereignty, mm-hmm. I can still engage with that and I can work towards uh, work towards helping to realize uh, more of what, what Christ would have in those settings. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, and so how did Kuiper live that out? Why don't you give us some historical sure. context? He yeah. lived around turn of the century, right? And yeah. So, yeah. So he lived from 1837 to 1920. Uh, he's from the Netherlands. Um, he hit the height of his career. He was the prime minister, prime minister of the Netherlands from 1901 to 1905. Uh, he was trained as a theologian, uh, a minister. He uh, resigned his, his ministerial post uh, at a church in order to um, uh, in order to run for election, and he got elected to the Dutch Parliament. Um, doing so, he uh, he he always did he always ran his politics from a very Calvinist perspective. He was not he was very unabashed about his Calvinism. Mm. Um, which is, uh, you know, and at that time there were different, because there was the Catholic faction and the, the liberals okay. and all, you know, all these kind of different factions. And mm-hmm. Kuiper actually organized all, all these small kind of Dutch Calvinist communities, and he organized them into the first mass political party in the Netherlands, actually. He's mm-hmm. kind of the father of politics in many ways in, the, in, yeah. in how he Interesting. asked the, these, these different kind of disparate groups uh, he, 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 he called them the, the Klein Luden, the, the little people. He was going to be a representative <laughs> for the little people who were out in the farm, the, you know, the Dutch farm workers, um, yeah. you know, who were, who were, who were religious and Calvinist. And so wow. he, uh, he organized this political party and then he did some things to where in order to 
have influence, he was willing to make some coalitions. So one of the things he did was, as his Calvinist party, they got together with the Catholics, which at the time was, to a lot of people, was terrible because how could wow. how could you work with the papists, you know? Wow, uh-huh. But he did it in a way because he realized they could be aligned around certain around certain issues. Um, and he was willing to kind of work and uh, work with them in order to help realize some of the bigger things they had. Uh, he was, mm. I talk in the book about education reform. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things he did was he started uh, a university. It's called the free university in Amsterdam. Mm. Uh, uh-huh. I spent uh, 10 months there actually oh, wow. doing uh, research and working um, on wow. the project. Um, and it was the first university that was, uh, is named the Free University because it was set up to be free from state control or particular church mm. control. And so uh, he, he lobbied really hard for um, not only the establishment of this kind of separate from the state, uh, but also that it would have, and he had to work really hard to have the uh, the state recognize, you know, the education and the credentials of the graduates. Okay. So he wanted... He wanted people to study law and, you know, medicine and, and all these other areas from a Christian worldview perspective and not just from a secular um, perspective. So he, uh, he was very much, the, the name of his political party was the anti-revolutionary party. Okay. And that was in opposition to, uh, to the, the, the French revolution. Okay. He thought the French revolution ushered in this kind of this secularism that kind of took mm. God, you know, out of, uh, out of the equation. Um, and so he, he thought that God should still be very much a part of the, the culture of, uh, of politics and of the country and, and whatnot. So it's very interesting. Yeah. So he, it sounds like, um, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we have a tendency to divide the world into sacred and secular. Right. Um, and you know, you do your sacred stuff on Sunday mornings and maybe a Bible study and maybe, you know, when you have some devotional time or some spiritual disciplines, but everything else, you know, when I go to work, that's secular. When I, you know, go to my kids sports, uh, stuff that's secular. When I, you know, go out to dinner with friends, that's secular. And so we have this division between sacred and secular, uh, and it sounds to me like kind of what you're describing is he's saying, no, no, it, it all right. uh, is to get, it, it's, it's all of life as you were saying. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, there is no dualism. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, and that's one of, that's, that's one of my main, I think driving factors. And that's why I put the two Kuiper and Bonhoeffer in conversation. And I talk about discipleship mm-hmm. for the common good because it kind of forces us to break down these divisions we have between sacred and secular or inner life and, and social, you know, the, the broader community. Um, It forces us to wrestle with kind of the implications of how our faith can, can contribute and, and make a difference in the world. Yeah. So, you know, and I'm thinking about the university that he started. It's interesting. He started a university free from state control, but also free from church control. Yeah. He didn't want, is that right? Yeah. He didn't want a particular, um, he, he didn't just want to have a a religious school. Um, Okay. He wanted to have, it was, 
it had Christian worldview. It was obviously Calvinist. It had the Calvinist worldview, uh-huh. but it wasn't underneath kind of a church training institute. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, it, which I think reflects this idea that it's all sacred. Uh, that's mm-hmm. what I'm getting. Is, is that right? Uh, that was part of his theology, it sounds like, that um, you don't have to have a state school. You don't have to have a, you know, that's purely secular. You don't have to have a religious school that's purely religious. You can have just a school where you learn. <laughs> and and I think if I remember in the book, this is where you cited that quote, you know, that uh, – you know, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence in which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Mm-hmm. Um, was it? Is that right? Was it in that context? Yeah, he, I think it was his speech where he was opening the university, where he was saying, "We can, we can study all of these subjects, but Christ is yeah. over all of it. And so, if He's over yeah. all of it, what are the implications for that?" Yeah, um, as we're out. And you talk about sphere sovereignty, I think, in that context. Is that your word or is that your expression or his no, expression? No, that's his expression. Okay. And what does that mean? Like, can you, uh, you know, I think it relates to all this here. What does that mean exactly? Yeah. So basically he's working to, um, this is one of his central contexts. He, he wants to honor that there's different, there's different aspects of society. There's there's schools and there's universities and there's business, the arts industry. They each have kind of their own sphere and they, they function kind of well in their own sphere. Um, so the family has a particular uh, set of purposes and values um, uh, that, that needs to be protected from the influences of other spheres. Hmm. So, there's this idea that um, that there's these different areas of life, and 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 Kuiper pulls it back. Another reformed people connect it to the creation mandate, um, okay. where in creation God has set up these different, you know, aspects of this kind of ordering of life um, hmm. that is based in in creation. Um, however, encompassing all of that, kind of over all of that, is God's sovereignty. And so some governments want to put, or some states, and this was one of the issues he was dealing with, and how as he was reacting to um, the French Revolution was the the, uh, popular sovereignty or the state sovereignty was kind of placed over everything to where, um, uh, like in France, uh, where they placed all rights kind of um, originated within the individual or in Germany, where in state sovereignty, where all the rights were de- derived from the state, instead mm-hmm. he wanted to honor these different areas, such as the press, schools, and universities, um, that's sovereign in their own sphere, and that kind of levels the playing field between uh, between these different areas. But then understanding that God is over all of them. Mm. Okay, and. Um... Uh, yeah, interesting. It sounded so at first when you're starting to describe it, it sounded like a uh, sphere sovereignty referred to a kind of compartmentalization of different spheres. Uh, but it's actually not that it's um, it's a recognition that there are different spheres, but then it's all unified under the sovereignty of God. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Oh, that's cool. So and it's also um, understand. Yeah. So it's interesting. So he uh, he argued that. Um, as part of sphere sovereignty, different 
it, it connects to his idea of, of pluralism, where okay. in, in the world, um, there's all these different kind of worldviews that are competing against each other. And, um, you know, in his perspective, obviously, you know, the Calvinist, the Christian worldview is the one that he thinks is the truest and it's the true one. Uh But he recognizes that, you know, the Catholics have, um, different things and, you know, maybe, uh, the, the secular state has different worldviews and he recognizes the need in a, in a, in a state setting to, mm-hmm. um, to allow space for these other areas, to allow space for other people to, um, to flourish in, in their spheres. And so yeah. he's actually an advocate for pluralism, um, for letting, mm-hmm. uh, he, he wants to, he wants to allow the marketplace of ideas to flourish. And he believes okay. that Christianity, um, you know, if allowed to compete with these others will, you know, show its fullness and, and be the most fruitful for society. But he doesn't yeah. want to, he doesn't want to win that argument by shutting down everyone else's ability to contribute. That's uh that sounds very maybe progressive in some uh, yeah. ways for his time. I don't know. Oh, I don't know exactly what his time was like, but even today that sounds almost kind of progressive and which I think is a, a good thing, you know, right. say, Hey, let's let everyone uh, be who they are and, and let us be who we are. And it's almost uh, uh let your light shine, mm-hmm. you know, kind of exactly. a, kind of a perspective. Yeah. yeah like one, yeah. one huge debate he was part of was education reform. And, mm-hmm. um, and this was one area he partnered with the Catholics on is he felt that um, that education ultimately rested with the family because it was about worldview and it was about uh, the family kind of should have the ultimate decision of how their children are educated. Mm-hmm. And therefore, if a family wanted to send their child to a Christian school, that shouldn't be hampered by state funding. And mm-hmm. so because when – during his time, um, and actually how it is in the United States today, if you want mm-hmm. to send your kid to a free school, you send them to the public school. And right. if you want them to have a Christian education, you have to pay tuition to send them to a private right. Christian school. Well, he argued that, that, um, and he actually eventually won this debate, uh, that the state should equally fund all of these different um, schools. And so uh, even to this day, um, in the Netherlands, you can send your child to a, a Christian school or a Catholic school or any other, or, or the, the state kind of secular school. Uh-huh. And it's all paid for equally by the government. Wow. Interesting. Um, yeah. Huh. That's a, kind of a impressive that, uh, the, that influence has lasted even into today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, yeah. Very cool. Um, uh, so let me ask maybe a, a couple of questions uh ask you to speculate a little bit like um so what what would kuiper do you think say to us today or what would he want to yeah what what message would he want to bring to us today and uh just in in our world you know um you can think politically you can think yeah uh, in terms of the church in terms of uh the state of christianity the state of uh whatever you know what what do you think kuiper would say to us today yeah I would think he would want us to um, to make robust theological 
arguments about how we can, you know, in our in North America and the United States, how we can pro- provide a, a better society. Um, mm. And he would not want us to shy away from the f- theological kind of foundations that are driving us. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But he would want us to engage these issues, uh, whether it's immigration, uh, you know, all, all the hot button issues. He was in the sure. middle of all of the hot button issues. And he yeah. had a very, you know, he, he debate, he had a ton of enemies <laughs> because, uh-huh. uh, uh, just because he, he was willing to engage those, those political battles, but he yeah. did so from a way that was so grounded to his faith and his Christian worldview that it was clear what his perspective was. Um, and yeah. so I think he would want us to not shy away from engaging those issues head on. Um, yeah. Wow, that's that's good. Um, and how about this? If you could ask uh, Abraham Kuyper any question or questions, are there any questions you would ask him? <laughs> I would want to talk to him just about um, just about the, the the political stuff that he was involved in. Um, mm-hmm. And in my book, I talk about some of the you know education reform, uh, the South African crisis that he. When he was prime minister, he had to deal with um, with that, uh, also with um, with the railroad workers' strike, and just kind of the reality of okay, we have um, you know you have your your Christian worldview, your your deep uh, Calvinistic you know beliefs and understandings, and yet you have to deal with these very political issues with this yeah. you know with all these different stakeholders, all these different opinions. What, what, what was it like to, to navigate those? And I know you, you won some and you lost some, you know, what mm. would you have done differently? Uh, maybe. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that'd be, yeah, that'd be a good conversation. <laughs> um, so, um, so having studied uh, Abraham Kuyper and, you know, you've obviously have learned a lot about him. Um, how, and and what I love about the book is that it focuses on discipleship, right? Um, and I can't remember if you said this as we were recording or before we started recording, but um, right, it's about um, how does our life uh, impact the world uh, as opposed to just our inner life, right? Um, and the the inner life has to be there. Um, that's part of why I want to, in this podcast, I want to talk about the spiritual life. That's I, I think I'm thinking about the inner life there, but leadership is about the outer life and about, um, affecting the world for the common good. As you say, like how has studying Kuiper, how has this experience, uh, everything that you've learned, how has that affected your own discipleship and your own spiritual formation? Yeah. You know, it's really, um, and I, I make this argument and I kind of structure the book around this idea of a theology of discipleship, um, mm. where I talk about four movements. Um, first, there has to be a foundation uh, of discipleship. And really the foundation of our theology should be the revelation of God, that God has revealed himself. Mm. And I talk a lot about mm-hmm. that and what how Kuiper understood that. And I'll do the same thing in the Bonhoeffer section. Um, uh-huh. And... Uh, and then I talk about the reality of Jesus Christ, the sovereignty of Jesus Christ, what that means, why that's important. And then I talk about um, the interplay of belief and obedience, how our beliefs um, are are cultivated by uh, how how we respond to Christ's call in our life, uh, how we obey the calling set before us. And that that is where the kind of personal disciplines are mostly cultivated. 
in this, uh, uh-huh. I call it the action of discipleship is how we kind of, how our faith is formed. And then the last part I talk about the possibility or the potential of discipleship is then how we take that and engage out in the world um, and really live into the fullness of what God's doing in and for the world. Uh, and I think for me, it's been this realization that kind of our, our theology, uh, especially around discipleship, is often too thin. It's often, mm. it's often just um, that third section of kind of cultivating personal disciplines. Um, but mm. in order for it, in order for us to be equipped enough to go out and do something in the world, we not only need to be, you know, cultivating these inner disciplines, but we also have to have to have some theological conviction about how I'm able to go out into the world. If I don't believe that yeah. Christ is sovereign over everything and he claims mine over the whole world, yeah. then I, I don't have the confidence to go out and engage in these kind of, you know, these different corners of the world that I'm not sure is God. Yeah. Even there. Well, if he's right. sovereign over, over, over it, then that means I can walk in there and, and I know that he's ultimately with me. Um, and I can yeah. do something in that area. S- same thing with, with, with revelation. Um, God's revelation is a critical theological starting point because, um, and, and we see this in, in the church today and, 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 and society. If, if it's not based on God's revelation, that means it's based on me and my experience mm-hmm. and my feelings. Mm-hmm. And then that can lead to wherever my feelings lead as opposed to, yeah. um, kind of the foundation of how, what God is revealing. Yeah. Wow, that's uh, that's good. Um, uh, I, uh, I I love this conversation, and I love that I've uh, I've learned something new about someone I didn't really know anything about until a few months ago, and 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 that I resonate with uh, with so much of it. I mean, I can't think of anything I don't resonate with in terms of. Um, uh, Kyperian, uh, you know, kind of a worldview or, or theology. Um, so. Well, so why don't we just kind of wrap it up there? I'm looking forward to having another conversation about Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, sometime early next year. Um, that'll be a lot of fun. And then, um, you know, we can maybe bring them into dialogue a little bit uh, as well in that in that conversation. But um, so let me just say thank you uh, for writing this book and uh, for being with us today. Any kind of last uh, final thoughts you want to offer about... Kuiper or I don't know. Yeah, I just, you know, thanks yeah. for the time. Um, I appreciate yeah. it. And I just, you know, I hope people will will pick up the book and, you know, start yeah. to kind of be challenged and, and see how, yeah. particularly in their ministry settings, how uh, we can think about discipleship in, in a way that yeah. moves out into the world around us. Yeah. And uh, also, if people want to find you, uh, how can they find you uh, online? Yeah, or- I'm, on, I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, kind of okay. the main places that I'm on online. Um, okay, great. All right. Uh, I'll try to find some links and put those in the show notes. Cool. Yeah, actually, <laughs> yeah, I also cool. have a, a website for my book, betterworldliness.org. Oh, you do? Yeah. Um, oh, good. That's important. Okay, we'll include that too. Betterworldliness.org. Okay. Well, thanks, Brant, and I uh, look forward to talking again uh, next year. All sometime. right, thanks a lot. You know, I think the thing that I appreciate most about Kuiper's theology and discipleship is his emphasis on the sovereignty of God. 
right? This idea that everything belongs to God and God is at work, even in the most mundane and perhaps surprising places. Uh, I like how the missiologist Leslie Newbegin uh, refers to this. He calls it the previousness of God, right? Meaning that God is already ahead of us in all the places to which God is calling us. Uh, can you be- imagine, uh, you know, what it would be like if we really believed that, right? That all things belong to God and that God was at work in all things. Uh, I imagine that we would approach the world with a lot more confidence and hope and maybe even more love. Uh, now, I want to uh, also mention, as we wrap up here, that Brant Himes is not only the author of For a Better Worldliness, uh, but he's also the managing editor of Resonance Journal, which is a theological journal uh, that's designed to help followers of Jesus contemplate God's character and the nature of Christian discipleship. Uh, back in episode eight, I uh, interviewed Micah Lunsford, who's the founder of Resonance Journal, and I'll include a link to that episode in case you'd like to learn more about Resonance Journal and the kind of work that both Brant Himes and Michael Lensford are doing. Uh, as Brant mentioned, you can find out more about his book at www.betterworldliness.org, and I will include a link to that in the show notes. Uh, and if you'd like to connect with me, you can feel free to shoot me an email at marcus at marcuswatson.com. That's Marcus with a K, Marcus with a K-K-K. <laughs> or you can follow me on Twitter at Marcus. Watson, uh, well, at Marcus Watson. Uh, So I uh, really hope that this has been uh, helpful to you as you think about your own discipleship and your own leadership. And I just want you to know that uh, God goes ahead of you, right, into whatever work and ministry uh, that he calls you. Well, thanks again for being here today, and I will see you next time here on Spiritual Life and Leadership. Spiritual Life and Leadership.